Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you here in this service. Good to worship with you for a little bit here and then over there in the uh, worship center. So good to have you joining together. I want to do something really quickly here at the start of our time. Uh, If you are one of our students in both rooms, if you're one of our students, I want you to stand up, whether you are uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, college. If you are a student here, go ahead, stand up. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can see you right here. All right. Over there in the other room. Uh, I know there's a row of boys where my where my son normally sits up in the left in the corner up there. You guys, I see you in my mind over there. All right. So you go ahead and stand up. All right. So um, if you are a in both rooms, if you are a teacher, if you are a teacher, will you stand up right now? Let me see if I can pick out a couple. All right. Teachers faculty members, if you're an administrator or a coach, administrator in a school or a coach in a school, go ahead, stand up, both rooms, okay? All right, here, here's what we're doing. We're going to pray for you all because I don't know about you, but when uh, the news hit from South Florida about the shooting this past week, my attention just went away from whatever it was I was doing, just kind of right there with those families and those kids. And my first thought went to Eastside High School, where my daughter is a sophomore, and then Riverside, right down the road from us, and Wade Hampton and Greer and all the other schools that you guys represent, homeschool right here on our campus here, lots and lots of kids here, and then faculty, administrators. And so here's the deal. Not only were there uh, teenagers who were lost, uh, this past week down in Florida, and we saw their parents, and we saw just the, the cry of their hearts, and we cry and grieve with them, but coaches, and uh, an athletic director, and a uh, teacher. And so I just felt this morning uh, compelled to pray um, comfort for those who are hurting this morning that they're in Florida. Just pray for them. We can intercede for them, and pray for protection for you, for you all who are standing. We love you. And the number, th- number one thing we can do is intercede for you and just pray for God's protection. We don't pray in fear. We pray in the expectant hope that God will guard. And then pray that we are instruments of God's grace, that however God uses us to be an instrument of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because here's the thing, what happened in that school, what's happened in schools all throughout the last few weeks is a, really a reminder of the fallenness and the brokenness of this world in which we live in. The Garden of Eden that we read about day one or day two, whatever it was in our reading plan, the Garden of Eden when sin entered in isn't just a cute little story about Eve eating an apple and she shouldn't have. It's about the devastation and brokenness and death as a result of sin. So we pray for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be powerful, and us to be instruments of that grace and of that gospel. Amen. We pray with me now. Lord, I do pray as these students stand representing high school kids, these teachers representing those teachers, coaches. Lord, I pray now for the comfort of the Holy Spirit upon those down in Florida right now. We saw the moms and the dads, the tears, the crying. We saw the chaos. And Lord, we just pray for calm and comfort from your Holy Spirit. We pray for protection on our students. We pray for protection in our teachers and our coaches. But really, Father, all over this country, would you protect students as they go to school here this week? And Lord, we just pray for a special 
a special hedge around these lives that so full of potential, but yet so affected by fallenness and brokenness. And then, Lord, we do pray that we're instruments of the grace of Jesus. We just don't intercede. We just don't pray. We're instruments. We're you. So, Father, would you use us in the lives of hurting, broken people? Would you use us in our schools? Would you use us in on the sports teams that we coach? These teachers, such incredible opportunities in front of them. Lord, oh Lord, use us as instruments of the grace of the gospel. Oh Father, hear our prayer now and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Sit down. Thank you, folks. We, um, as Scott mentioned here, and I'm sure Kevin has mentioned in the other room as well, are in a reading plan together. So if you're new here to Tyler's, welcome. If you're one of our guests here, welcome. We're walking through the scriptures, and we just uh, turned the page from Genesis. Now we're in Exodus, and here's what's happening. Um, the, promise to, uh, the promise made all the way back in the garden. There's going to be a man come from you, Eve, who will rescue you from all this sin that we just talked about and prayed over. There's going to be a man coming, but he's going to come through a family. And that family was led by Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We've been reading that over the last few weeks. And this family grew and grew and grew. And they were in the promised land until there was a famine. And God sent the family down to where he had raised up Joseph to be king and governor over all of Egypt to save their lives. So they move out of the promised land. They move out of Canaan to Egypt where this family grows and grows and grows and grows. I mean, when they have a family reunion, they're just not fitting over in the fellowship hall anymore. They, they can't do that. They are a multitude. I mean, they are a nation practically of people. And Pharaoh, the king, was not kind to them. He saw them as slaves and they built cities. He saw them as incredibly valuable to him, but they were in bitter slavery and bondage and they cried out to the Lord for help. And so here they sit, not for four years or 40 years, you ready? 400 years. That's a big gap between Genesis 50 and Exodus 1, isn't it? 400 years. And then God says, it's time to move. It's time to go into the promised land. You're in Egypt, you've grown, purposes are done, let's go. So he's going to use, really, one man to help lead that effort. And today we're going to look at the call of Moses. So I'm going to invite Alex Smith to come on up. Exodus chapter 3, go ahead, turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 3, our reader for today is Alex Smith, and so we are proud and pleased to have Alex Hannah here with us. Hannah was an intern with us here at Taylor's. Alex was serving in another church here in South Carolina, correct? In South Carolina, has uh, God has called him here now, he and his wife and their two kids, Judson and Emmy, called them here to be with us. We're so pleased to have him here, but God has called him to a ministry. What was formerly Camp Marietta is now uh, charting new ground, and we're really, really glad that God is opening up that ministry to, to uh, really build on the legacy that was there. So Alex, thank you, brother, for reading. Will you stand for the reading of the word this morning? Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the call of Moses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, but out of the mist of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Thank you, Alex. You may be seated. And may the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. Uh, the Olympics are going on. I hope you're enjoying it. We love the Olympics for all of the sports, but we really love the Olympics, or at least we do in our house, for the stories of the athletes. And I ran across a story of an athlete that participates in an event that takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. It's called the skeleton. You know which one I'm talking about? This is the one where individuals uh, put on a helmet, they put on their suit, kind of look like Iron Man to me, and they take uh, their sleds, these heavy sleds, and they begin to run with this sled as fast as they can, and they jump on the sled head first. And they're going down what is really a slicked down, souped up, iced over water slide. That's really what it is. And I mean, they are tearing down this, this uh, course in this event called the skeleton up to 80 miles per hour. Can you believe that? So these events are going on, and we love these events, but we love the stories behind the events. And let me tell you about one participant in the skeleton. Her name is Simi. Now, Simi, even though she's lived in the United States of America, is Nigerian. She was born to Nigerian parents, and she lived in Canada and then moved back here to the States. So she comes from a Nigerian household. That's her culture. That's her upbringing. That's her background. And so Simi is pretty gifted when it comes to track and field. So she got a scholarship over to the University of Kentucky where she, she, um, where she ran track. And, and then she tried out for the Olympics there uh, for the Summer Olympics, and she failed. She didn't make it. She got close, but she didn't make it. So as she was thinking about the Olympics, um, suddenly this door opened up for her. And she's 36 years old. So she's not exactly in the prime of her athletic career for a lot of these athletes. They're so young. I mean, these 16, 17, 18-year-old snowboarders out there, they're amazing. She's 36 years old, and so this door opens up for her, and it's with her country, with Nigeria, and she heard about trying out for the Nigerian bobsled team. Now, if you know anything about Nigerian Winter Olympics, here's the reality. There are no Nigerian Winter Olympics. This, is the, this year's the very first Nigerian Winter Olympic team in their history. I mean, just look at the weather. I mean, it's supposed to be highs in the 90s this week over there in Nigeria. It's just not really possible. So she sees this opportunity to, to become part of the bobsled team, but it filled up that they said to her, you know what, why don't you try this? Why don't you try the skeleton? And here was her response to that. And remember, remember, this was just last October. The Olympics are now. She just ran this, or she just ran the race um, this past week. The Olympics are back in, this is back in October when she's deciding to do all this. And she understood the sport. She thought it was kind of, kind of um, 
violent when you would crash. She, she understood um, a couple of things that one, she was scared. That's what she said. I read several articles on Simi this past week. She, number one, she was scared. Number two, um, it's something that she's never, ever done before. Number three, that if she was going to do this, this would be the boldest move that she would ever make. She's okay on land. On a piece of metal, going down a souped-up water slide, she's not okay. <laughs> boldest move she's ever made. And so she said, you know what? Here's the wonderful thing. She's a follower of Jesus. And she sensed that God was opening up a door for her, and she stepped through that door. And when she did, here is what she found out. She made the team. Kind of not hard not to make the team when you, there are no Nigerian winner Olympics, but she makes the team. She becomes the first African, the first black female to run the skeleton, the first Nigerian, obviously, on the first Nigerian team to participate in such an event. She, she opens the door. She walks through this door of opportunity. She breaks through. But here's what she says. She says, I understand this as a follower of Jesus, that God has given me this opportunity to display his glory and his grace has given me this opportunity to say, um, I, I needed a coach. I love what she said. I needed a coach, and God provided a coach. I needed a sled. I didn't have a sled. God provided a sled. I needed resources. God provided a resource. And now she's able to march in the Olympics and to do something that she would be afraid to do, something no, that she has never experienced before, something that would take a bold act simply because she walked through and God provided she walked through a door, whereas in the past she had failed. In the past, her qualifications fit her for a different type of Olympics, but now God overrides all of that for his glory. Now, here is what we see in this call to Moses. We see in Exodus chapter 3 the same scenario. This is where a man is called to step through a door to do something that he never dreamed that he would be called to do because he had left Egypt a long, long time ago, and now God is going to ask him to do something that frightens him. No other way around it. So in Exodus chapter 3, as Alex read to us, we see in verses 1 through 6, we see God revealing something about himself, but then we begin to understand that God doesn't want to stop with what he's telling him about himself. He wants to keep going. So read with me in Exodus chapter 3. Let's keep going in verse 7, and then I'm going to give you the first point out of our text this morning. All right, so God says, Moses, there's a bush out in the wilderness. Where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Stop. Don't get near. And Moses understands this, and he is so afraid that he turns and he covers himself. He doesn't know what God is going to do to him because he's human. This is God. And God keeps talking. Verse 7, I've surely seen, Moses, the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. This is the promised land, a land flowing or oozing with milk and honey. It's wonderful for agriculture, for food, rich in food. It's also filled with other peoples, though place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, 
the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Here's what God does, all right? An, an incredible task, an incredible job that Moses is going to have. We're, we're going to walk with him this week. We're going to walk with him this week, and really the next couple of weeks, we're going to watch him lead this people. It's not easy, but number one in his call is this. God calls people to himself first before he sends them out on mission. God calls people to the reality of himself first. And really, this whole passage is a revelation of who God is. But he establishes something first, who he is first. And God calls this man to himself to be shaped by God before he sends him out. And the shaping is going to continue all through here. Now, let me pause here just before we, we understand what God is doing. Here's the thing. Let, let me set the stage for, for application here. God is calling you to something. Here's the, here's the fear. Here's the pastor's fear. You ready? This is a great story. We're about to get in some really good stories this week. But here, here's the fear, that you read these passages and you hear this preaching today and you sit there from a distance and hear about that story, but instead God is asking you, God is drawing you into his story and he wants to encounter you because God has something for you to do today. I don't know what it is. Think back to this week. Where has God opened a door? Where has God tapped you on the shoulder? Where has God spoken a clear word to you through his scripture or by the Holy Spirit or through someone here in the body of Christ? Where is there a need that only you can step into that need and feel? Where is it that God is calling you this week. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it's in your parenting. There's an opportunity. I don't know if it's in relationships. I don't know if it's a mission or a ministry or an open door where God is, is speaking, has been working. God, the Holy Spirit has been, been calling you, and now here comes an opportunity in front of you, and you're sensing God is asking me to do this. Make application this morning, gang. Where is God speaking to you? Maybe it's a mindset, a heart set, something that God is asking you to release, and he's coming to you and saying, I am sending you, I'm asking you to move through this door of opportunity to get to this next phase, to this next stage, because, because I'm working on you. Here, here's the point of this very first point. God is calling us to himself first before the mission. Here's what God's establishing. Number one, that he's holy. He's a holy God. We see this all throughout the scriptures. We see this in, in Moses. We see this in Eli, or, um, Isaiah when, when he gets a vision of God. We see this, the guys in the boat, the disciples in the boat, when they understand that Jesus has all power over nature, and Peter just cries out, depart from me. Get away from me. Why? Because I'm sinful and you are holy. Listen, listen. Calling begins and ends with God, but God comes to Moses and says to him, I want you to understand this because he's going to take, Moses, you're going to take this with you wherever you go. You're going to take this into Egypt. You're going to take this to the promised land. You're going to take this in the law. You're going to take this, Moses, this principle that I am holy. And when we come before God, here's what we want to do. We want to jet out and do 
I'm hesitant to give you that application because here's what you want to do. You want to go. But God says, hold it before you go. And and I'm going to get there, Moses. I'm going to send you. I want you to be before you do. I want you to be who I called you and shaped you to be before you are sent out and as you are being sent out. I am holy. Do you ever get before God like that? Have you ever been before God in your personal time where, where you just get this overwhelming sense? Maybe you read a passage like this, holiness of God. Maybe you read a passage where it talks about God's glory and God's holiness, and he, he's so transcendent above us. And you just have to cry out like Peter, God, I don't even deserve to be in this room with you. Is that how we see God? That's who he is. But here's the beautiful thing. He's not only transcendent way up here, but he's very, very eminent right down here. How do we know that? Because he said, here I come, Moses. Yes, I'm holy. Yes. I know you're afraid. Moses, I hear, I hear the cry of those in bondage. I hear the oppression. They're being whipped. They're being beaten. They're dying. I understand that. They're groaning. They're crying out. And I hear one of the sweetest words in all of Exodus. It's in chapter 2 when it says at the end of that chapter, the very last, last word, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his promises. And God saw, and I love this last phrase, my Bible, dash, 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 and God knew. He knows what you're going through. He understands the groaning. He hears the cries, and God will act. He's just not holy way up here. God understands way down here, and he's ready to move at his time. Now, that's the hard part. 400 years How many people cried? How many people groaned? I don't have an answer to that. I don't know why God didn't move right away. But I trust him. And he says, Moses, I know. I know. I'm coming down. I love that phrase. I'm coming down to deliver and to bring them up. It's almost as if God says, here I come, Moses. You can bank on this as you go to Egypt. I am coming down, and I'm bringing them up and out to the promised land. And then he says this, I'm a God with a story, with a mission. The people of God are going to move into this land. It's rich with agriculture, milk and honey, flocks, and they're going to eat well. So much different than the desert, so much different than than the climate of Egypt. Beautiful land, you're going to eat well, but there are people there. You're going to go in, you're going to have to these people are going to have to leave. I'll work that out then. But here, here's what I'm doing. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm writing the story, Moses. This, you're just part of the story from the garden. You keep going to get the people to the promised land. So this amazing God calls him. And that's, this is the amazing God that calls you this morning. He's holy. He's holy. But he's right there with you. He sees, he hears, and he's ready to move writing the story. And if you get that perspective of, okay, so, so this is what I do, but this is whom, who God is, I begin to understand that God is shaping my character to be more and more like Jesus, who when he came was in line with the character of God. So understand this, calling is simply not accomplishing a task, doing something to serve people. 
This is what Moses is going to do. He's going to serve people. He's going he's to rescue, help rescue the people. He's not. God is. God's the center of this thing. God is going to rescue using Moses. But calling is more than simply doing. It is being. Calling is about shaping you just as much as serving people. So when God comes to you this morning, and you're like, I don't know. God's shaping you. God's shaping me. I walk through calling, and I live out calling. Here's the first thing. God's calling me to him to shape me more like his son so that I can be sent like his son. Secondly, though, here's what happens. Moses understands something. This is not easy. Look at what he says. Chapter 3, verse 11. Look at your text. But Moses said to God, all right, he's going to speak. What's he going to say? First three words are what? Who am I? I don't know if he said it in a way kind of defiant. I, I doubt he was defiant against God. I wonder if he said it in a quiet way, despondent, doesn't know everything, but here's the bottom line. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You're calling me? Really? God responds to him. Hold it. He said, but I will be with you, Moses. I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have seen you, that I've sent you, rather, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here's Moses' first, really, um, insecurity, his fear. I can't do this. Thought number two this morning is this, God's presence. God's presence answers doubts about our ability. God's presence answers any doubts we might have when God calls us about our capability. Are we capable to do this? Who am I? Now, understand this. Uh, Moses maybe had a resume that lined up with doing this job. In the past, maybe he had that, right? I mean, he's born to the Hebrews. He's born there in Egypt. Um, he, he has the pedigree of, of, uh, of the Hebrew people, the descendants. So, yeah, he, he could go back to the, to the nation of Israel with, with that with that resume, with that part, portion of his resume filled out on family background. And he could even go back to Egypt with that portion of the resume, which says, hey, familiar with the court of Pharaoh. Why? Because as we read this passage, he was brought up in the court of Pharaoh. So, hey, this guy, this guy has a little potential here under family background, under experience. And God could have said, Moses, oh, I'm so glad that I lined everything up for you way back then in order to do this. But you know what? I think both Moses and God understood that that was a long, long time ago. And that resume was really, really outdated, and it simply wasn't going to work because here's why. Moses was in Egypt from the time he was born to the time he was 40 years old. And then he kills an Egyptian. Hebrew and Egyptian are fighting. He kills an Egyptian. They bury him. Moses understands the suffering of his people. He wants to rise to some form of leadership. He wants to rise to some form of, of, of rescuing his people. But you know what? He does it and he fails. Who are you, they say? Who, who are you to, to come in and step in? So he runs and Pharaoh wants to kill him. He runs and he goes to the desert. I mean, he goes in the middle of nowhere. So at the age of 40, he runs and he spends 40 years on the backside of nowhere and he 
meets a woman, marries her, begins a family, and he's just this shepherd, just shepherd in the wilderness. He's 80 years old when the burning bush comes. For those of you who are a little bit older, 80 years old, you're not exempt. <laughs> Nobody is exempt from God calling. He's 80 when God calls him. And here's what Moses is thinking. Are you kidding me? I left that place a criminal. Pharaoh wanted to kill me. The people back then rejected me. They didn't embrace me whatsoever. And now you're telling me to go back to Egypt, to the people who didn't, re who didn't accept my leadership, to the Pharaoh, to this house. I know he's gone. The old one's gone. I get that, but they still want to kill me. Are you kidding me? The who am I? And he begins to doubt his capability to do what God has asked him to do. And some of you do the very same thing. You're saying, letter A here, I'm simply not qualified to do this. And you know what God has to say about your qualifications? He says this, I will be with you. Same thing he said to Moses. I'm not qualified. God says to those of you who say you're not qualified, that's not the point. You, you very well not be qualified. I'll give you that. But that's not the point. I will be with you. Whenever you see that phrase in scripture, I'll be with you. We read it through Genesis. Here's what it says. That the presence of Almighty God will provide whatever is needed to obey and to fulfill the purposes of God. That's what I will be with you means. Saw it with Joseph there in the, in, the, in the prison. We see it with Jacob. I'll be with you to get through the stage. Whenever you hear this phrase, and it's over all the way through the scriptures, I will be with you. This is where God's presence comes, and that's a wonderful thing, but God's presence comes to provide whatever is needed to fulfill the purposes of God for that particular time. And Moses, yes, you're really not qualified. Yeah, you're probably not my number one draft pick here. But I'll be with you. Moses failed in the past. Some of you have failed in the past. Some of you, some of you want to run from what it is God is calling you to do because you've waded into it. And you've got your hands slapped. You've been kicked in the teeth. Or you've just plain failed miserably at it. Some of you men, listen, some of you men shy away from leading your home. And I get it. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to step up and spiritually lead. I'm not qualified. They won't listen. Hey, listen, I get it. I totally understand what you're saying. But the point is, you're not qualified. God says, I'll go with you. I still want to use you. That's the point. Here's what one writer said. I love what he said. He says, Moses has to be thinking of his past, not only his upbringing, but his crime and his people. And he's been humbled in the desert. But God calls him when Moses has a new family with a new Pharaoh. So when Moses sees the burning bush and is called to lead the people out of Egypt, it's a call back to where he failed. It's a call back to where he made a costly mistake. He simply messed up. So when he asks, who am I? He has to be thinking through all of these things. No wonder he says, I can't rescue a people. I can't rescue this people and lead them out of their slavery, let alone lead them out of the hand of Pharaoh. I can't do this. And God says, Moses. Moses, I'll be with you. And then he gives him a sign. We like signs, don't we? 
always praying for a sign. Give me a sign for this. Give me a sign for this. Here was the sign. And this is really discouraging. He said, here's your sign. That when you lead the people out, you're going to serve God on this mountain. Moses is out there with the sheep at Mount Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai. Maybe not that particular mountain or the region. We don't know for sure. Bottom line is, God says, here's the sign. And it's not a sign of confirmation immediately, but it's a sign in which Moses is going to have to simply step out in faith. We love signs. They give us confidence. But sometimes God looks at you and says, you, you, you have to step out in faith. You've distrusted yourself so much that you're paralyzed. Trust me and move. And then Moses says this, I'm not gifted. Let her be. I'm not gifted. Look over to chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Have it there. Look over the page. Scroll down. He's still, I mean, these two chapters are amazing because God's just patiently revealing himself to Moses. But then he says this, I'm not gifted. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. Here's that. I will be with you, but I will. Be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. I'm not gifted. And here is Moses' faulty assumptions, and maybe this is where you are. Here's where you say, well, I, I need to have, for Moses, I, I need to have the primary gift of speaking here, and there is some truth to that. As some writers say, listen, when, when you would walk into Pharaoh's court, these magicians were there, and they were these servants of Pharaoh. They had these powers. They could do all these magic tricks. They could do all these really cool things, and, and we'll read about that. But then they had the power to speak. They had the power to present and the power to persuade on behalf of Pharaoh and the gods. So Moses has seen, he grew up in this, right? And he's thinking, I can't do that. For whatever reason, I get tongue-tied. For whatever reason, I stutter. For whatever reason, I just can't, can't get it out. Literally, he's heavy-mouthed. He, he can't get it out. He can't think sharply. And fo- he can't, whatever it is he feels, he can't do it. And here God comes to him and says, faulty assumption number one, that you can't speak, I'll be with your mouth. I can help you with that gift. But faulty assumption number two is you think that that is what you need. You don't need that. You need me. Don't get ahead of me, Moses. I'll help you. But you're assuming a lot. You're assuming a lot. Let me be with you. I love how God continues to reveal himself. I will be with your mouth. So here, just a line of application here. You ready? Write this down. Be more attuned. If you have doubts about your capability, be more attuned to the caller's presence and power than your own ability. This is where you have faith over inadequacy. Caller's presence and power, there's faith. My ability over here to do whatever it is you ask me to do, I'm inadequate. Faith over inadequacy. All right, number three. Let's quickly move forward. Look at verse 
13 and 14 of chapter 3. Go back, all right? Still with me? Here we go. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What do I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Number three this morning, God's character answers doubts about our credibility. So if God's presence and power answers doubts about our capability, here's God's character, which answers doubts about our credibility. In other words, as I come to the people, he, he, Moses is two steps ahead, always worried. Know anyone like that? Maybe, maybe you husbands are like that with your finance. Maybe you wives are like that in some particular area. Some of you are always two steps ahead. You're always, but what if they, and you're always trying. And, and Moses is concerned, not so much about Pharaoh. Who's he more concerned about? He's more concerned about the people. When I come back to them, I'm, I'm going to tell them that I, I heard this voice out of a burning bush. They're really going to go for that. <laughs> That's really credible. But who do, I, who do I tell them? Send me. In other words, the Egyptians got their gods over here. Now I'm coming to them saying, our God, Hebrews, is going to take on their God. We're going to win. We're going to be free. Okay? How do I explain that to them? They're not going to believe me. He says in chapter 4 at the beginning there, what if they don't listen? What if they don't believe? And here's where Moses is having a crisis of, is this really doable? He's really, really afraid of what people are going to say, what people are going to think. This, this really captures him. He's going to walk through this throughout his leadership. Afraid of what, what the people are going to say to him. And here's God's response is, I am that I am. I am has sent you. In my text, capital A, or capital I rather, and capital A, capital M. What is this phrase? Listen. This is a neat little phrase. A lot of trees, a lot of forests have been killed to write books about this phrase, I promise you, but I'm going to try and condense it down. What this phrase, I am, really is, is a combination of three consonants in the Hebrew language. There are no vowels in Hebrew. And these three consonants signify the verb being, to be. In other words, what God is saying is, I exist, and I have always existed, and I will always exist. And so they put this phrase together, and they put these consonants together to form the word Yahweh that you'll see on occasion, and this is God's name. I am. I've always been. I am now. I always will be. So commentators have written, all right, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. I'll try and condense it as best as I can. Number one, it means that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody else to supply his need. He is the creator. He created the world with his word out of nothing. He is the sustainer. There is no need with God. So therefore, when he comes to Moses, he says, I've got it all. <laughs> you, you think Pharaoh has it? I've got him beat. All provisions are made for and cared for because I'm self-sufficient. But then he says this, I'm eternal. I'm eternal. You're worried about this day. You're worried about what is going to happen tomorrow. You are worried about, about your life and the days and the months. He goes, hey, 
I am eternal. I've been here from the beginning. I'll be here till the end. So why are you consumed about this day? Why are you consumed about this week? Why are you consumed about that meeting you're going to have? Why are you consumed about this open door? I'm eternal. Past, present, future. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. Take heart. Trust. And then I never change. I never, ever change. These gods that, as they go into the land of Canaan, as the Egyptian gods, here was one of the characteristics of the gods that they served, that they never knew if they were angry or happy or pleased. That's why they were constantly trying to please these gods. They never knew if they were on solid ground. God says, I am. I am unchanging. So trust me. Trust me me. And when you walk in there, you tell them, you tell them that I am the eternal, all-provisional, never-changing God who promised to them that I would see them through. Wow, that's who your God is. That's who he is. And when God calls you to do something, you're thinking, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? What are they going to think? I'm with you. Instead, say, who is my God? Who is my God? And this is where faith comes over our fears. If, if in, in, in number two, we talked about faith over inadequacy, this is faith over our fear, faith over our fear of failure. Application point, be more attuned to the caller's character than what other people might think. Be more attuned to his character and who he is. Get your focus, your eyes up here. This is what I constantly have to do. Eyes up here on him and his strength and his power and his leadership and his calling and his provision. If not, you're going to get lost down here. You're going to be distracted over here. You're going to be looking over here. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be discouraged. I am who I am. Let me end with this. Let me point to Jesus here. Here's the cool thing. You ready? And then we're done real quickly. Jesus, when he came to this earth, Many, many years after this, he would come to earth and he would really make the Jewish leaders really, really upset. And he would make them upset because his claim was that he was the son of God. That he had come and he was perfect and that he was, and that he was going to fulfill his father's will. And they thought that they had uh, captured what the father's will was. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, 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 no. Here, here's what it looks like. I'm going to rescue people from their sin. I'm going to free people from their oppression. Luke chapter 4, he walks in. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set at, at liberty those who are captive. I'm going to free them. Jesus is the new Moses. He is the rescuer. Here's what I've come to do. But here's the thing. Uh, when he finally began to unveil and reveal, just as God did to Moses, who he was to the religious leaders, for, for his followers, for his followers, it meant that he is here. He is present. It's okay. For instance, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus feeds 5,000. He sends them on the lake. The wind and the waves are crashing all over the place. Some of you are there this week. The winds and the waves are just crashing. You're going to sink. Here he comes. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. He goes by them. They're already going to sink. Double whammy. Here's a ghost. We are doomed. It is over. And what does Jesus say to them? Take heart. Do not be afraid. What? It is 
I. In other words, the same Greek phrase as I am. What he's saying is, take heart, don't be afraid. I am he. I'm God. Oh, man, changed everything. They worship him. They keep doing what God's called them to do. That's what some of you need this morning. I am he. But then Jesus is worthy of our worship. John 18, same phrase. Here come the soldiers, spears, swords. Jesus is going to die in just a few hours. He's in the garden. And they come up to him, led by Judas. And they look at him and they say, are you the one that we are looking for? And what does he say? I am he. It says in John chapter 18, when they heard that, they hit the ground. Why? Because Jesus is God. He is almighty. Worthy of worship for those of you who don't know Christ this morning. All of this points to the one who has come to rescue you, and Jesus is the rescuer for your heart and for your sin and for your guilt this morning. If you'll simply open up your heart, if you bow down before him and worship him, but for us followers, for us followers, he is the one that leads us. He is the one who is with you. He is the one who, when out of the burning bush, says to you, do this, and you say, I'm not qualified, I'm not gifted. What will they say? Simply remember this. Jesus, in the form of the Holy Spirit, is with you. Father, we pray now. that in the difficulty of life and in the experiences that move us from side to side, and then all of a sudden you come to us and say, here is my calling. Father, this week would you walk with your people? And then, Father, would you walk with those who don't know you? Would you walk with them in such a way where you reveal yourself to them in a new light. If there's anyone here this morning who's not a follower of Jesus listening to my voice or maybe listening online after this sermon is long gone, Father, that your Holy Spirit, and I believe he has the power to do so, will open up ears and eyes and hearts and someone will hear the truth that God loves them through Christ, through his death and burial and resurrection and will be saved. Would you do it? Father, hear our prayers. We commit to you now our lives, open-handed, open-hearted. We're yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. And Scott is going to lead us here this morning in this time of commitment. We're going to sing together. And so um, I'll be right down here on the side here. Dustin's over here. We might have uh, one of our other ministers will be over on this side. You come find us if there's anything you want to pray about this morning. Anything that God is leading you to, whether it's salvation, opening up your life to Christ, baptism, you want to be baptized and demonstrate your follower of Jesus, or to be a part of this body. How do I be a part of this? Man, I've been coming here. I want to join. What does it look like? You come. Just come see us. We'll take you to a room and show you how. For the rest of us, let's sing the song of worship and commitment to Christ this morning.